0: You ever thought something and it turned out not to be what you expected? Some of you, yeah, maybe. So a couple weeks ago, well, it's been a few weeks ago, John Doffer, he's, he and his wife Yolanda are in our first service. Uh, they're actually a part of our disaster relief ministry and they are in Arkansas right now uh, with relief teams from the storms that recently went through. Well, a few weeks ago, John called me. And said, hey, would you like to go to a cat fry with me over at First Baptist Cherokee? Well, my wife and I grew up in South Carolina, and I've been to many catfish fries. So I just assumed cat was short for catfish. And I said, yeah, I would love to go to a cat fry. I didn't know y'all had these out in Oklahoma. We've been here uh, almost nine years, and I've never heard of a catfish fry. I said, But I'd be really glad to go, man. And he picked me up, and I I purposely did not eat. I usually have lunch and then like an afternoon snack, but I purposely did not have my afternoon snack because I wanted to go really hungry because I love fried catfish. And we're on the way to First Baptist Cherokee, which I understand is about 50 miles or so, so it's close to an hour drive, and we're making our way there. And I said, John, I can't wait till we get there, man. I love catfish. And he looked at me. And he said, well, what does that have to do with a calf fry? And I said, say that one more time. He said, a calf fry. And I said, I thought you said a cat fry, and that was short for catfish. He said, no, we're going to a calf fry. And I said, oh, well, I like beef too. What, what part of the calf are, are, are they frying? And then he began to explain to me mountain, what mountain oysters are. And I said, brother, I'm going to leave hungry, <laughs> you know. I'm just not sure about this. So when we get there, I'm, I'm actually thinking, and my literal words were, I hope they have some vegetables on the side because we'll be a vegetarian tonight. And when we get there, the pastor gets up, and, uh, you know, there are a couple hundred guys there, and he said, look, how many of you, this is your first time to a calf ride? You know, a few hands went up. And he says, well, don't worry about it if you're a little reluctant to, Try the mountain oysters. We have three tables full of them. And then we have a table over here with some fried fish. And that's where you wimps can eat. Well, I left a wimp and I ate fried fish. So what I thought was going to happen did not really transpire. The cat fry I thought I was going to was a calf fry. Very, very different scenario than what I expected. In a similar way, As we read through today's passage, we're going to see what the people expected did not happen. They believed that Jesus would enter Jerusalem and become a physical king on that day and would establish his throne and overthrow the Roman government and would lead victoriously on earth on that day at that time. And that's not what transpired. As a result, they missed three very important truths that I hope we don't overlook today. Matthew chapter 21 verses 1 through 11 is the story often referred to as the triumphal entry. And rightly so, for Jesus triumphantly entered Jerusalem. I heard a guy say the other day that this really could be entitled the triumphant exit because Jesus entered Jerusalem to exit the world after he would make payment for our sin. Let's pick up in Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11 together. This is how it reads in the New International Version. As they, that's the disciples, as they approached Jerusalem... Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. And on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. Look at verse 8 now. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Let's so pause there just for a moment. Maybe write out in your notes 2 Kings chapter 9 verse 13. 2 Kings chapter 9 verse 13. You'll notice as they were throwing their cloaks on the road, if you go back and read in 2 Kings, this was an ancient custom of the people in that day that they would do when monarchy arrived, when a king would come into a city. This again shows us that they were expecting Jesus to be a physical king on that day to set up his kingdom there in Jerusalem and to rule and reign. Let's continue and we'll see that the tide turns a little bit. This is what they were thinking in the beginning, but look in verse 9. The crowd's That went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Let's pause again. If you go and read Psalms 113 through 118, it's referred to as the halal, those Psalms coupled together, you will see the content of those Psalms right in this proclamation that the people were making Hosanna to the Son of David. They are publicly, for the first time, we see that they are, the crowds are publicly acknowledging Jesus as the long awaited Messiah. However, they did not understand what that meant. Again, they thought it would be a physical king that would establish his throne on that day in this place at that time. But it doesn't happen, and look at what transpires in the crowd. Verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city. Now, this included those that were just hailing him as the son of David. The whole city was third. And asked, who is This verse 11, the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Already we see the tide turning. These very people that hail him as the son of David, the long awaited Messiah, the coming king, very shortly after this proclamation, now they're saying he's simply a prophet from Nazareth. In Galilee. If we fast forward a few days, which we'll look at on Friday, this Friday together, as we watch the adults and hear the movie of the Passion of Christ, we will see that the tide continues to turn and the very ones that praised him will yell out the words, crucify him. Why? Because they missed who Jesus really is. Today, we're going to look at three truths that help remind us, or in some cases, reveal to you who Jesus really is. Before we unpack these three truths, let's pray together just for a moment. Father, thank you for being better to us than we deserve. Thank you for bringing Jesus into this world so that he could do what we could never do help us as we unpack this passage to understand these three truths that we might live in light of them in a way that would honor you speak to us today we ask in Jesus name amen truth number one as we examine this passage we understand that Jesus is omnipotent. Jesus is omnipotent. What does that mean? That means that he is all powerful and that he's fully in control. That Jesus possesses all power. Now you, you might say, how is that? Jesus was just a man. This is what we would refer to. These truths help us understand that he was not simply just a man. It's what scholars would call the incarnation, meaning that God became flesh. Jesus is fully man, but he also is fully God, who has eternally existed in the past and will eternally exist in the future with the Father and the Spirit as the triune God. For Jesus is God, which means he's omnipotent and he is all Powerful. How do we see that in the passage? Look at verse 2. As he entered the city, he said to his disciples, to two of them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. So that poses the question, how did he get that donkey and that colt to be at this house at this time? Because he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He can do anything he sets to do because he is God. Perhaps you remember I shared that I saw a T-shirt a long time ago that had two statements on it. It said, one, there is a God, and two, you're not him, but Jesus is God. He's omnipotent, not impotent as some in the world would say, He's omnipotent, which means he is all powerful. I have to confess, because several have asked, I was going to try to not be like a center of attention, but several have asked, you're walking a little bit weird today. Yes, I don't know what happened. I threw my back out. I don't know the correct medical term, but something happened on Tuesday as I was doing a light workout at the gym, and I spent the rest of the week, other than a couple of meetings that I couldn't get out of, I spent the rest of the week on my back with my feet up in there, going from ice to heat to a TENS unit to ice to heat to a TENS unit. And while I was on my back, I will confess, there were moments that I got on my pity party. And I started saying, okay, God, do you not see me in pain? You're omnipotent, as I was preparing this very message. I said, you're omnipotent. You can take it away. Why are you not healing me? And then I was reminded that God is all-powerful, that he does see me, and he'll give me exactly what I need, when I need it, so that I might honor him. And that there's nowhere in the Scripture that says that my life or yours would be without pain or that it would be easy. Dan Heath and I were talking this morning, and he said, Sean, that reminds me of a, a promise in the scripture that I think sometimes we don't like to claim. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean, Dad? He said, the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33 Jesus said to his disciples, and so he would say to you and me, in this world, you will have trouble. (laughs) That's a hard one to swallow, especially in the midst of any kind of pain. And while I was laying there, I was reminded from the example of Job that I decided to read, because if anyone knew what pain felt like, it was Job. And at the end of Job's story, as we understand in the Bible, chapter 42, verse 42, Job, in a conversation with God, says this, I know that you can do all things, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Just like God placed that donkey and that foal of a donkey there at that time for a specific purpose, so God can use whatever's going on in our life and in our world, and there's a lot going on even in our country. We look at Nashville and what happened over the last week or so, and Arkansas with the storms, Mississippi and even in our own church and fellowship this week, as I was on my back, I found myself texting a lot of people or calling them, just checking on them in their journey. And some were, thank you for the call or text, pastor, things are going great. And others would send back a little description of what they're going through and it would make me feel bad that I even complained about the pain that I was experiencing because of what they were going through. And as I considered those things, I could not help but remember a story of a little boy. This little boy was going to see his grandmother and grandfather, and they put him on a plane because he was flying as a minor, so they escorted him to a specific seat, and they set him beside a guy they thought that would be good for him. He didn't know who the guy was, but they knew that the guy was a seminary professor and thought a seminary professor would be nice to a kid. Well, the little boy had a little kid's Bible, and he pulled it out, and he pulled out a little Sunday school lesson that he was preparing for so that he could go to Sunday school at his grandma and granddaddy's church. And the seminary professor saw the Bible and saw the lesson and he thought, I'm going to have a little fun with this little kid and see what he knows about God. So he leaned over to the young man and he said, little boy, he said, tell me something that God can do and I'll give you a bag of Skittles. The little boy thought for a moment, And he looked up at the man as nice as he could, and he said, Mr., tell me something that God cannot do, and I'll give you a truckload of Skittles. (laughs) Well, this little boy understood this truth. God is omnipotent, and there is nothing that he cannot do. The disciples and some standing around were asking Jesus about wealthy people who put their faith in money instead of God and how would they get to heaven? And he explained it would be difficult, because they might trust in their finances more than the Father himself. And then the disciples said, "Well, if that's the case, who can be saved? And Jesus responded in Matthew 19:26, "With man, this is impossible. but with God, all things are possible. I don't know what you're going through in your journey. But I want to remind you of what I was reminded of even this week. God is all-powerful. And he will meet you and me at our greatest point of need. Now, the challenge is, is sometimes I think I need things that evidently I really don't need. And that's where faith comes in. You know, in Galatians 3 and 11, the Apostle Paul quotes The prophet Habakkuk, where it's recorded in chapter 2, verse 4 of the book under his name. And he says, the righteous will walk by faith. If I'm not careful, just being very transparent. Even though I'm the guy on the stage most Sundays, I'm still a sojourner in this journey called life along with you. I'm still walking my journey with Jesus too. And it's hard sometimes to walk by faith. Especially when we're going through a challenge. But the beauty of the verse that Dan Heath shared with me, John 16, is not in the part that Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. But it's the second part of the verse. He says, but I have overcome the world. And right before that, he said, in him we can have Peace. So even in the midst of our pain, we can have peace if we walk by faith. And that's to take God at his word and move forward with his help. Second thing we see in the passage is Jesus is omniscient. Because he's fully God, not just fully man, but fully God, he's not only omnipotent, but he's omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. Look at verse 3. In verse 3, he says, if anyone, he senses the disciples are curious to how he knew there would be a colt there and a donkey. So he says, if anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them and he will send them the right way. So how did he know that they would think that if it's not in the text that they said it? And how would he know that someone would respond positively to the request of getting the donkey or colt? Look at what Mark says. As he tells the story in the 11th chapter of his gospel, verses 4 through 6. They, that's the disciples, went and found the colt outside in the street and tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and and the people let them go. Jesus knew that there would be people there that would ask, and he prepared his disciples to give a response. How did he know? He's not only man, but he's fully God. He's omniscient. He knows everything. Luke says it this way in Luke 19, and 34. As they, that's the disciples, were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. If you continue, it says they let them go. How did he know this? Because he is God, and He knows everything. For some, that can be a scary thing if we're not really living for the Lord. But for others, if we're striving with God's help to walk for Him daily, it can be a very encouraging thing that God would know even our most intimate thoughts. As I was lying on the floor working through this earlier this week, The Lord took me to Psalm 39, David, who was no stranger to ups and downs in life. Hence, that's where we get the Psalms. If you read through the Psalms, you'll notice that David was up on the mountain sometimes and he was down in the valley sometimes, the mountains in the valley. I'm convinced if we had Prozac in David's day, we wouldn't have the book of Psalms (laughs) because he was so up and down and up and down. Very similar to how we are. But notice what he said in Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Please hear me. Life is hard. And if you're in one of those lower moments, just know that Jesus sees you right Where you are. And if I could give you a verse of comfort. I would share with you what Peter records in First Peter 5 and 7. Cast all your cares upon him. Referring to the Lord Jesus. Because he cares for you. There's nothing in the scripture that says he'll meet our every greed. But all through the scripture, it says he will meet our every need. And he knows what our needs are. Third and final promise we see in this passage is Jesus is obedient. And I thank God for his obedience. Because of his obedience, we can. Listen to verses 4 and 5. Back in Matthew 21, the gospel writer writes this. This took place about the donkey and the foal of the donkey, the colt being there. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, daughter Zion is referring to Israel, the people who occupied God's most holy city, Jerusalem. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you. Jesus really is king. And he will return one day to rule and to reign Look at what it says. He comes gentle and riding on a donkey. He didn't come on a horse as many monarchs had come in the past and would come even after him. He came gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey, the baby. Why would he do this? He came humbly in obedience to the plan the Father set forth before the foundation of the world. And you say, what do you mean? How do we know this? This, in verse 4, says, took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet This very verse comes from the prophet Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, that was spoken 500 years before this event took place. So Jesus, doing this, was being obedient to the will that the Father had predetermined before the foundations of the world. Why? So that you and I could know him. So that you and I could make peace with him. The Bible teaches that he didn't stop here. He continued to be obedient. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, that Jesus was obedient even till death on a cross. Jesus went to the cross, not because he deserved death, but because we deserve death. All of us. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3 and 23. And we can't save ourselves. So Jesus was obedient even till death on a cross. We'll look at it. The benefits of that, specifically next Sunday as we celebrate the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Think with me for a moment before we prepare to move into our closing time. Jesus is in the garden, and we'll really see this on Friday night when we watch the Passion of the Christ. But Jesus was in the garden and in his humanity, fully God, yet fully man. Do you remember that he prayed three times, the Bible says? Do you remember the content of his prayer? Knowing that he was getting ready to experience a broken fellowship with the Father and the Spirit that he had known throughout eternity past because he would take upon the sin of the world. Now, I'm not just talking, he, the, the prayer wasn't just about the beatings that, and the scourging that he was getting ready to go through. More so it was the fact that the Father was going to turn his back on the Son. That's why on the cross he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You remember how he prayed in the garden? He said, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, known as the son of suffering, was obedient even to death on a cross so that we could find freedom and forgiveness from sin, have a relationship with God, and walk with him in this life And have the promise of walking with him in the life after this life in a real place called heaven.